welcome to the Empathic Mastery Show. I'm your host, Jennifer Moore, and I'm so glad you're here. This is a place where we talk about what it means to be highly sensitive and empathic, how this impacts all aspects of our lives, and we explore tools, resources, and solutions so we can shift from absorbing all the thoughts, feelings, and energy of the world around us to being beacons for calm, love, and healing. Hey there, everybody. I am so excited to be bringing my next guest today, Clementine Moss. And Clementine is the founder and drummer of Led Zeppelin powerhouse Zepparella. And in case you're wondering, how did I connect with this amazing drummer? My husband is a drummer and he used to have a podcast where he interviewed musicians. And so that's how Clem and David connected. And Clem just also happens to be an empath and somebody who is working kind of in the arena that I work in. And so it was like, oh my God, this is perfect. So Clem is the drummer of the Led Zeppelin powerhouse Zepparella with a busy solo career as a singer and songwriter. She's also the author of the recently released book, From Bonham to Buddha and Back, the slow enlightenment of the hard rock drummer. She's a graduate of UC Santa Cruz with a creative writing degree, and her writing path gave way to a musical one until she began her blog, Bliss and Drumming, in 2016. In the essays, tales of her music career provide metaphor for contemplative practice And many of those pieces are found in various forms in and were the impetus for her book. Clementine is a spiritual counselor and a non-denominational minister at the Foundation for the Sacred Stream. That sounds really interesting. I bet we could have a long conversation about that. (laughs) Using the modalities of depth hypnosis, applied shamanism, energy medicine, sound healing, and morphic awakening techniques, Clem has an active healing practice. She is certified in contemplative psychotherapy and conflict resolution, a Vipassana meditator for over 30 years. Her study and personal practice spans many traditions. Clem lives in San Francisco with music manager and musician Tim Moss, and Henry the Pug, who I just got to meet, who's very, very dear. Her writing has appeared in Modern Drummer Magazine, Memoir Magazine, and several other online publications. Clem, welcome. I am so glad you're here. Uh, Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Jennifer. I I forgot that I sent you my whole bio. I could have probably put that in a nutshell, but thank you for reading it. You're welcome. It's definitely a learning curve when it comes to sort of like, what do we say? How much of the information do we share about yeah. ourselves? Yeah, I'm sure people were, I mean, I found it really interesting hearing all of the things that you have been up to over the years. And, you know, as everybody who listens to the show knows, everybody who comes on this show identifies as an empath in some way or another. And so I always like to start at the very beginning with, you know, how did you know you were an empath? What did that mean for you? How did being a sensitive person who was picking things up impact your life, especially, you know, like, so, so let's start at the very beginning. Tell us about, you know, tell me about your childhood. (laughs) Yeah, well, um, you know, it's funny because looking back, I can see it, but I think at the time I was just trying to navigate it, right? Yeah. And I think that's what many of us do. And, you know, um, I had very wonderful, loving parents. Um, my father was very demanding. And uh, I think that when you grow up with a caretaker who um, you're trying to please a lot, I think that can really ha- like hones that empathic skill right Mm -hmm. always kind of looking to um you know to make sure that um that you're doing the right thing that you're in the right you know uh, kind of walking the right line right and so uh when i think the the best story i can kind of explain you know how i was and how i've been as my life as an empath is uh you know when i would have a 
a party, like a sleepover. It was like my favorite thing in the world to have my friends come over. And I remember, um, you know, if a child, there's always a child who's not feeling well at any mm-hmm. given child party, right? Yes. And yes. I remember yes. Specific- yeah, and I remember specifically standing in the kitchen uh, at this one party and a friend uh, saying that she was had a stomach ache and me trying to breathe in her stomach ache into my body so that she could stay and play because I knew that even if I had a stomach ache, I would be able to like, you know, I would be able to deal with it and still it was so important to me to like have fun that I could override the stomach ache, but I wanted her to stay as well. It was important for her to feel good as well. So, um, you know, later in my life, when I started studying Buddhism, I realized that was, you know, kind of a misguided practice that they call Tonglen, which is the idea of, you know, I'm sure you know this, breathing in, um, suffering, breathing out light, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I think, you know, as a, when I say it was misguided, it's because, what I was doing was trying to breathe in the suffering of my friend and hold it and transform it, right? Rather than yes. breathing it in and, and allowing it to move through. Right? Yes, Which is, yes, think, yes. The, the big lesson, right? Because if we don't do that, then we get to be grownups and we realize we got a lot of junk clogging up the, the happiness flow, <laughs> right? That we've taken on from other people right uh, in our uh, lives so um yeah so you know I was childhood was difficult for me in that way where I was um you know always I think feeling a lot of what was going on around me taking it on thinking it was my issue right um thinking that everything that I was the one who had to fix everything mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and I think that that's pretty, I think that could be like the banner for empaths, right? <laughs> that we think we're supposed to be the ones to to make everything better. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I love how you were talking about, you know, what an, an absolutely just like a snapshot of the, of the empath child, <laughs> you know, that you are standing there and you can sense that there's a problem. You really, you, I mean, you want her to stay because you can play with her. But that whole thing of that you're just going to absorb all of her pain and you're going to basically carry it for her so that she is okay enough that she can function. And I mean, I don't know about you, but like my very, very first exposure to the concept of an empath was on the Star Trek episode, the original Star Trek episode, The Empath. And what you Mm -hmm. just described is pretty much exactly what they showed in this episode where it's like Jem, which happens to be the name of the empath, put her hands on Kirk McCoy and Spock and just absorbed all of their pain and took it on for them. I mean, and then ultimately she transmuted it. But I think you 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 caught something right there that was so relevant, um, which is that for so many of us, we don't let it move through us. What we do is we absorb it and then we carry it and we hold on to it. So I just, I love that you recognize this and, and just like, yep. I mean, I can raise my hand and go totally, I can so relate to everything you're saying there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, and then, you know, I, I know that you um, studied shamanic uh, uh, traditions as well. And, yeah, you know, in, uh, in the um, depth hypnosis and uh, shamanic applied shamanism uh, techniques that I work in when I'm working with people as a spiritual counselor, um, what we're doing is we're, we're identifying those things we've taken on, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. we take them on when we're so young, we don't know we're taking them on. For instance, if we have a, a mother maybe who's depressed, right? Well, the child begins to try to carry that pain, that suffering that the mother is going through before she knows she's doing it because the yes. child wants to survive, you right. know, and it's important for the mother to be well to survive. So it's a very, it's not like we were choosing to do these things. It's just this natural thing we do over the course of our lives is to take on other people's pain or sometimes be the victim of somebody who's putting their suffering onto us and yes. so you know in the in the shamanic world what we're doing is we're 
we're finding a way to um, let go of those things and then fill ourselves with our own personal power. Yes. Because find that if we're, you know, for empaths who get really disrupted, it's because they've lost their sense of their own boundaried power. Mm-hmm. Um, they become, they feel like they're sieves, you know, and that they can't hold on to, to, um, you know, to their own needs, their own desires, their own ability to care for themselves because they've gotten so porous with all of this motion back and forth. And, and so I think that's a real benefit in, um, for, the shamanic journey, you know, to journey to your own personal guides and, and power um, to reclaim those things. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Well, and within the, you know, there's so many amazing tools within shamanism, doing extraction work, doing soul retrieval work, you know, and just really, I mean, I, and even doing some of the dismemberment work where we just like let ourselves be taken apart and put back together. You know, I was thinking as you were speaking about the way that we sometimes will, you know, take on the pain of our parents, our mother, and especially with our mother, you know, I was reading a book a little while ago that was talking about the mother wound and about our bond with our mother and attachment. And one of the things that I was really getting is like, we co-regulate, you know, our nervous systems co-regulate with each other. And if we have a mother who has a super dysregulated nervous system, we start regulating or more accurately dysregulating in utero where we are going to learn this weird kind of wonky taking on the pain because it's kind of like that's the only option we've been given. So by the time we're out of her, you know, by the time we're like a little kid, it's like we've been kind of groomed to process our mother's emotions, like for quite a while. So I love that, you know, you are speaking about the fact that there are ways for us to reclaim our personal power through energy healing, through shamanism, through hypnosis, through any number of modalities. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I really, um, you know, I really do love, um, depth hypnosis was created by, um, uh, Issa Gucciardi, and um, she's in Berkeley at the Foundation for the Sacred Stream. And, you know, she's combining, um, you know, depth hypnosis combines, um, you know, Western psychological methods, especially transpersonal psychology, which believes that spirit is a part of healing, right? Mm -hmm. And then Buddhism, especially Tibetan Buddhism, which has a basis in shamanic, uh, you know, works with light and sound. And then um, having studied in many different shamanic traditions around the world, right? And so combining those three things puts a great container around shamanic work. And it creates um, a modality where the client is their own shaman, right? So I wouldn't say that I'm a shaman, although I have been trained. That's why it's called applied shamanism. I've been Mm -hmm, trained mm -hmm. in those methods and yet what i'm really doing is holding space and helping people guide to their own internal uh their own internal metaphor right because shamanism is really about putting metaphor to our internal lives and our internal worlds to Mm -hmm. understand it that way so i i find it to be we're able then when we become empowered when we connect with our own internal power then we're able to see those parts of ourselves that, you know, energetically reach out to take things, you know, take on other people's pain or all of the ways that we've been open to kind of be inflicted by that, those things as, you know, it goes kind of goes both ways. So mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I find it really, really powerful way to, to help, to help move through trauma that feels overwhelming to look at. Yes, yes. Um, You know, you speak about the identity or the moniker shaman. And one of the best explanations that I ever heard is that we call ourselves, if we do identify as this, shamanic practitioners, 
But the term shaman is a title that is granted to us by other people in the community who determine or define us as their, as a shaman, not mm-hmm. something that we claim for ourselves. And this to me just sort of felt like there's an aspect of shamanism that's really about being in, you know, about the interaction, the claiming of our personal power, but also the relationship to community and the res- restoration of balance. And so I always liked the idea of, you know, I can say I'm a shamanic practitioner, but I personally will never call myself a shaman. Some other people have called me that, but I really like that idea of just sort of honoring that title as something that is granted, not claimed. So just wanted to say that because I was thinking about that. So Clem, before we go a lot further into the healing stuff, I know that I'm just like rock and roll drummer, shamanic healer, like, and also like, how is a highly, how as an empath, did you find your, like, was it to be in the rock and roll world? So I guess I'm like, let's talk about rock and roll because that is one of the things Mm -hmm. that absolutely makes you very unique and is certainly a big part of the journey in your book about going Mm -hmm. from being the rock and roll drummer to enlightenment. So I'm just kind of like, how did you get, like as a sensitive person, as somebody who was absorbing Mm -hmm. people's pain, and wanted to help and fix. How did you end up in the world of rock and roll? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, you know, a lot of that story has to do with why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Um, because, um, you know, the book is really, you know, it's from Bonham to Buddha, right, is in the title. So it's, you know, for a long time, I thought, okay, I have my contemplative world, my contemplative pursuits my meditation and which I actually I went to my first 10-day meditation retreat the same year I started playing drums which was in Ah. and so I saw these as these two paths that I was moving along and then a few years ago it occurred to me oh it's all the same path (laughs) it's not that I have rock and roll glam and uh, contemplative glam which in you know some ways I could say that but really my musical career, every moment of it, from driving the van to unloading the gear to talking to the promoter to being on stage to dealing with, you know, packing up afterwards and checking in, it's all has the the lessons that I can find when I sit quietly and watch as my reactions and my emotions and my attachments and my aversions rise and fall. Mm. It's the same thing. It's just I'm dealing with those things, you know, in relation to other people. And then in contemplative practice, I'm dealing with those same issues, all of the the ways I wish things would be different, right? I'm dealing with that um, in a contemplative way. So the book is really kind of trying to put those those things together. So um it seems strange to be a contemplative person and to be in rock and roll. And, you know, I've been um, a rock and roll drummer uh, for, you know, about 30, 30 years, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 90, well, yeah, because you were saying years. you were saying that you started the contemplative yeah, that's path right. yeah. 30 years ago. So that makes sense. Yeah. You know, I'm struck by that's in right. some ways. Yeah. I'm struck by, in some ways, the intersection between rock and roll drumming um, and like Tibetan Buddhism and the path, the contemplative path and shamanism in that drumming is such a major part of shamanism. Like, you know, Mm. just like the using the shamanic drum and journeying with the drum. Mm. So I'm kind of like, Mm. in some ways, it strikes me that the shamanism is kind of the intersection between the path of the drummer and the path of and the contemplative path. I love that you said that because when I first went, you know, I, I went to, you know, I had been through this contemplative psychotherapy program um, that was, you know, Buddhist. And then a friend of mine said, oh, I went to, you know, see this woman, Issa Gucciardi. She's amazing. She's bringing, you know, she works with shamanism. And I was like, shamanism, that just seems kind of far out there. Well, maybe I'll just go and 
you know, I'll just go to a, you know, and, and talk to, you know, a shaman, like a shamanic practitioner, just try to figure out how it's all fitting together. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was in this big thing where I was like, I need to know how, you know, Hinduism and Buddhism, and I want to know how everything fits together, you know? And, um, so I went uh, to a session with a shamanic practitioner and I walked out and I was like, oh, I have some things that I need to work on <laughs> like that this is kind of bringing up. So I started going into the counseling method for my own personal thing. And I, I just found it so uplifting um, and had so many revelations and thought, okay, well, I'm going to take a class and, you know, how to kind of how to do this. And, um, the, you know, the first day we're there and we're doing the shamanic journey and there's the drum. And I was like, I, I feel like I'm home. I feel like mm -hmm. I was coming here my whole life, mm -hmm. you know, to under really understand how the drum, you know, I mean, it's the frame drum is the frequency of the center of the earth. Right. And people knew this a hundred thousand years ago. Right. I mean, it's, it's remarkably amazing. Um, so working with the drum, working with sound, you're right. It really did. Uh, it felt like kind of a homecoming and, yeah. Uh, yeah. and it felt like an easy transition. Um, and, and it, it cohabitates with my rock and roll life. You know, when I'm on stage, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm sending out, you know, waveforms that are traveling through each person in the room and it's connecting us in this big way. And I've always had that sense of, you know, this, this call to unity and to connection. And um, so it, it all feels like, yeah, it all feels connected really deeply to me. Yeah. Well, and the whole, I was part of, for many years, I was part of a, um, well, David, my husband that you know, is a kid drummer. I was reared up in um, percussion and hand drumming and was part of a drumming community for mm. many years. And where it's all about using the drum and especially using the intersection between of, of like, like people drumming together as a way to bring people together. And I'm struck by, I'm just sort of thinking like in some ways, every single drummer in a rock and roll band is kind of doing their shamanic work and also kind of helping other people to kind of achieve a trance state, even if they're not aware of it. But, and I was thinking about how just like the other piece of the drum is, you know, you were talking about the frame drum is connected to the frequency of the center of the earth. I also think of it as like, it's about that alignment or that, you know, that, that entrainment with all of our hearts, that our hearts come mm -hmm. together in that rhythm. And so I'm just, I'm also just thinking like, how many times were you just playing a Bonham groove and you're journeying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely, um, it's been, I've been, um, I've been exploring, um, different, those different lanes while I've played for a long time, mm -hmm, those different mm -hmm. lanes of consciousness, you know, as a musician, you want to be in the center. Like I remember my drum teachers, I was doing, you know, different thing with all four limbs and then I was speaking another rhythm. Right. And mm. you know where your, your mind needs to be to be, to do this is you need to put your mind in that place where when you're looking all over the house for your glove and five minutes later, you realize it's been in your hand the whole time. He said, put your mind in that place, which to me is that it's like the center of what's happening. I can't think like, oh my gosh, my left foot, because then everything falls apart, right? Yes. It has to, everything has to be taken care of and my mind has to be in this centered place. So what a great gift my meditation practice is be able to put my mind in that awareness of everything and awareness of the awareness mm. um, and so I've been really playing with that um, throughout my music career um, without really even recognizing that that's what was happening but then you know as I started coming into um, the, the realization of you know the at a certain place in my meditation and my contemplative practice, really recognizing like this is bleeding into every moment of my life, you know, 
putting my mind in this, in the center, you know, and being able to allow for things to flow from it. It started to started to make a lot of sense that I was called in all of these different directions, you know, but that and is so, one direction. Yeah. And so I'm really hearing in some ways that the book is um, a way for you to recognize the integration of all of these different pieces and that this is sort of this cop, this homecoming of integration of, of understanding that what might appear to be very foreign or very diverse, like rock and roll drummer, contemplative meditator, um, sh- shamanic practitioner and healer, like all of these things may seem very, very separated. And yet what I'm hearing you say is it comes back to, it's all about returning to the center. And in some ways, like as a drummer, I am, and being married to somebody who's like, I mean, I, I can't even count the number of conversations we've had about independent limb functioning <laughs> and being able to like work with all four limbs at the same time. Um, and in some ways, five limbs, because if you consider the head and the mouth, sort of that extra limb, um, you know, it's like, I'm just thinking like there's like each one of your limbs is a different aspect of what you bring to the richness of who you are. There's the the rock and roll drummer is one limb. The contemplative meditator is another limb. The shamanic practitioner is another limb. The or shamanic practitioner healer is another limb. The writer and the communicator is perhaps another limb. And then, of course, just, you know, Clem as a human being is probably maybe the fifth limb. But just thinking about how life is about finding that center as opposed to being distracted by all of the different limbs. I think there's gone. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've completely um, understood the premise. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course yeah. you have, because you have this as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's um, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Well, and I think that in a lot of ways, one of the things that I'm kind of taking, uh, you know, taking from this conversation and I'm really seeing is how important it is as, as empaths, and as highly sensitive, intuitive, light workers, creatives, like any way we define ourselves as kind of that, you know, we got a little bit of that special sauce. How often do we compartmentalize? How often do we separate ourselves out and go, this is where I get to be an empath. This is where I have to be the secretary, or this is where I have to like suck it up. This is where I have to do this. And I'm really thinking the story that we're talking about is about that ability to embrace all of ourselves and find and claim ourselves in our wholeness without finding ourselves sort of in that like Monday is on the road day and dealing with like, you know, you know, practice sessions. Tuesday is working with clients. Third, you know, like just sort of that idea of like that self and which I think is a very Western concept of compartmentalizing. And yet what mm-hmm. I'm really hearing and I'm thinking about is how often as sensitive people, how often as intuitives, how often as magical people, as empaths, do we compartmentalize and do we think that these things are separated when in truth, it's all part of the same whole. Yeah, it is. And it all comes from that understanding that we have of that center of ourselves that still knowing that is deep in there, that still knowing, which is where our intuition comes from, which is where our, you know, woo-woo abilities come from. It's where, that you know, all of that stuff comes from that still, um, that stillness. And so I think it is important to spend time on a mat, you know, or however it is that you connect to that center in that place and rather than getting up and running into the day and thinking okay that's something that I left behind me mm-hmm. actually carrying that carrying that center with you so that you can be present in each moment for what is showing up mm-hmm. and and moving from that place from that stillness from that knowing from that empowered place 
and being able to to greet every every part of your day that comes forward and recognize that it all is all one river it is all one flow that we're in i think that that's a healthy way to look at it and um you know, I hope that the book helps people realize that even if you're like running around like a maniac, like I do much of my life, I can do that from that place. And then I seem to have kind of endless energy for my life, you know, endless excitement. And, 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 uh, and if it's stuff that maybe it's not my favorite thing to do, if I'm still in that place, I'm moving through, you know. Mm-hmm. I am, I'm sort of having this experience as we're talking where I'm really getting at a different level, like the image of the metaphor of independent limb use and, Mm -hmm. and the idea of when you were talking about, like, if you're focusing on the one, you know, if you're focusing on the right foot on the bass pedal, that you know, you're you, like all of it, it all just goes <laughs> and, and, mm-hmm. and, and, um, having been in, in do like the experience of, of some ensemble drum situations where like, you know, you get distracted and all of a sudden all of it just was like a train crash off. Um, I'm just really struck by whenever we focus on the one limb, whenever we focus on the one thing, it pulls us out of our center and then everything kind of goes wonky and sideways. But when we are in the center, when we're when we're sort of functioning, like the limbs are functioning from the heart, the limbs are functioning from the core and from the center, or our life is functioning from the core and the center, it's kind of like we are in the eye of the storm. And I don't know if you're a tarot person, but I just keep on thinking about the wheel of fortune because I feel like that the message of that card is very much about as long as you're focused on the outside stuff, as long as you're focused on all the things that are around, you know, on the periphery, you're just going to keep on getting crushed by the wheel or thrown off the wheel or just, or you're going to exhaust yourself like a hamster just running on the top of it. And that in order for us to truly find grace and for us to flow, we must come into the center. And I, I just, there's a way in which I'm like, how often as empaths do we, and spiritual seekers, like just as human beings, do we find ourselves moving away from the center and getting pulled out into all of these sort of different arenas where then we are like, oh, uh, this is a hot mess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we lose, we lose, we lose sight of that, that place within us. And it's very easy to do as an empath, you know, because you, you grew up learning how to go to mold yourself into what is needed in the moment, right? And, yes. Um, when you can stay in that center, it's not saying that, you know, things don't, you know, go wrong. It's just that your response is coming from this truer ground place. Yes, um, yes. And and then things seem easier then, you know, to deal with. Um, one of the things that I talk about in the book is um, there are a couple of pieces in there about playing at altitude, right? So when I play drums at, you know, in Breckenridge, Colorado at 9,000 feet, you know, it's a whole different experience because um, their oxygen is really strange. And so it's like, I can't lift my arms up very high. I get winded really easily. My my mind, you know, will kind of just like, I'll lose track of what I'm even doing because my brain kind of shuts down at the moment when you don't have oxygen and you're doing such an exertive thing for two hours as I play. And, mm. um, and what I've noticed is that the idea of altitude is really what my problem is because I don't get in my center. What I do is I get into my mind thinking about all the possibilities and all the problems I'm going to have because I'm in altitude. If I stay in my center and I just keep breathing deeply and I make little adjustments in my body to be able to do what I need to do at, you know, with the limitations that I have and not get caught up in what's coming of all of the possibilities of me messing up, it just becomes so much easier. Then it's yes. like, I, I, 
I've played at altitude since I had that realization that, oh, it's my mind that is the problem. It's not my, it's not really my body. It's my mind is creating a big problem in my body because it has, because my, our minds want to keep us um, scared and safe, right? I mean, that's the mind. The mind is Which is quite a paradox. Sure that, like, uh, kind yeah. of an oxymoron, <laughs> right. scared and safe. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. But they want us to land a couch. You know, our mind wants yeah. to land a couch to be safe, to be, you know, to, you know, that's its job is to right. alert right. us to danger. You know, you're not breathing well. You're not, you know, all these things. So, so yeah. So I've recognized that if I can bypass all of that fear stuff that's going on and just be in that empowered stillness, then I find a way to move through even even difficulty, like you know, not having enough, you know, having different oxygen levels mm, in the mm, show, mm. you know, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. And so before you and I jumped on, one of the things we were talking about is the question of why we get disrupted as empaths. And we've sort of touched on it, but I was thinking this is such an important piece. And in a way, it kind of really ties into what we're talking about now. But uh, talk about that. Tell why do we get disrupted? What is your sense of this? What have you noticed? And I imagine part of it is our mind and where we go with it. Yeah, I think that we get we get used to listening. First of all, we get used to listening to our mind, um, mm-hmm. to listening for a thought and believing our thoughts are us. Mm. And you know, I read a book a long time ago um, that really changed something in the way I saw things, which is that. What if our thoughts were just physiological occurrences? The same, you know, we have these physiological things that happen that um, digest our food and move our blood through our body and, you know, create our next breath and all of these things that our bodies do without us thinking about it. What if our thoughts were that way as well? And our thoughts were rising because of our history and our DNA, right? And all of the thoughts that rise then are just these responses to the physical body, right? Then what that means is that when we can hear our thoughts, then we can drop beneath our thoughts into that stillness that we're talking about and move from there. So if our thoughts are physiological processes, what they're most in involved in is like i said keeping us safe Mm -hmm. alerting us to danger bringing forth all of these thoughts that are um, reminding us of all the things that could go wrong yes because our brain wants us to be alive what if we don't listen to that or we we watch those things come through and we don't attach any meaning to them and i'm not saying that it's not important to be a good thinker either uh, I think it's very important to have your be able to um, focus your mind. And I mean, I love my mind. I love thinking, I love writing, all of those things. But more what I'm talking about is the way that from moment to moment, we live either in a state of agitation and disruption, or we live in a place of recognizing that there is a part of ourself that that has our best interest at heart, that wants us to be happy that wants us to be peaceful and be able to meet challenges in this place of of ease and comfort and when we live from that place then i think um, it becomes easier to let go of following that that kind of what can feel kind of uh crazy anxious uh anticipatory mind stream So for an empath, not only are we having our own thoughts coming in, but we're having all of the energy, all of the emotions, all of our understanding of how other people around us are thinking. Mm -hmm. And then we get completely wrapped up in this this soup of information coming in. So the important way to through that is just the way that we bypass having to follow that that uh, constant nagging thought pattern. We can also 
recognize those things that are around us. Recognize, okay, this person has all of this stuff coming from them that I can feel. What's it like to experience that from this empowered, boundaried place that has my best interest at heart? Then when I move, if I feel moved to help, it's not expending my energy. It's moving from this natural vitality and power that I have. It's not spilling my own energy out in this, like, let me just help. And then I'm depleted. I'm, you know, can't move for a couple of days, right? No, yes. it's more like I have, I cultivated this power, this energy within me. And then I can move to help as I feel called and as feels aligned with me. Because most of the time that I've really expended myself to try to help, it has never ended well. <laughs> it's never ended you know, there's a particular energy that I've moved for to help, you know, and it's not, it hasn't been right. But when I move to help in a way that I feel called from that place, then I can offer what I can and allow it to fall to the person for them to do what they wish. And I'm not no longer attached to having to fix, you know, and that's very critical as a spiritual counselor for me to not show up and be like, okay, I'm going to fix you. Right. Gonna, you know, you're going to feel better. No, I'm going to be here and hold and I'm going to do what I can to help you move forward. But there is a idea in a shamanic tradition of the, the practitioner being a hollow bone. Is mm -hmm. what they say. Yes. And you're allowing spirit to work through you, but yes. you're not attached to outcome. Right. And that's, I think, the best healers, the best teachers are that way. They offer what they can from this place, from this deep place of connection to spirit, connection to knowing, um, and offer that. So does that, that kind of answer? It answers, it, I think it asks, it opens up as many questions as it answers. And so much of what you're saying, I'm just in so much depth of agreement with you. I'm thinking about how, you know, I mean, we always have, like ultimately is like, are we reacting or are we responding? But also are we approaching the work from a place of, and, I, and are we approaching life from a place of ease, grace, and flow and surrender? Or are we gripping it? Are we clutching it? Are we trying to force it? Or is our ego essentially involved? And I love how you were talking about what if we thought of our thoughts? And I was thinking about like the difference between that mindful inspiration where sort of like you don't have any attachment to the thought, you're not chasing it, you're not, you're not struggling, like you're not forcing it at all. It just like just drops in that quality of, of wisdom versus mm. that qual those experiences where it's just like, you know, that like monkey mind is just going. And, you know, oh my God, I'm just sure they must have fallen in a, you know, my kid hasn't come home from curfew. I'm sure they're dead. Like, you know, the stuff that we put ourselves through. Um, and I just love kind of that idea of like, what if, what if our thoughts are as, or sort of our random kind of undisciplined thoughts are as busy, just as natural and just sort of as just our breath as any other thing. Like I was thinking like, even just like, you know, you got an itch. It's like, do you like, yes, we can go crazy about it, but so often at least we can detach from that and not necessarily like add or put so much meaning into it. Whereas with our thoughts our and our whole culture spends so much time attaching meaning to these thoughts that may or may not have any real value. Do you remember the name of the book that you, where you first encountered this by any chance? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's called From Here to Here. From um, Here to Gary Here. Crowley. Nice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's just a little pamphlet. And it was, it's, uh, it was a um, body worker that um, I got to have a session with once and he'd written Ooh. this book and I just really loved his take on that. It's yeah. a beautiful take. I mean, I think it also allows us to not get so freaked out. Like, because I think that's one thing I've noticed for sensitives and intuitives and empaths is that it can be, especially in the earlier stages of this work, 
it can be really easy to interpret our fear as a premonition, as wisdom, as guidance, and Mm -hmm. to really just go down the rabbit hole because some random thought just passed by. Yeah. 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 It's true. Yeah. We're, I mean, I, I think that that's, that's a habit that we're all, all born with, right? Yeah. This habit of like believing what, what is going on here. Now, I don't mean to suggest that we should ignore our thoughts and go into, you know, that bypassing thing you know, that we're, you know, we have these emotions, we have these thoughts, and we're just going to put them over there. And we're not going to deal with them. And, you know, we're going to live in this like, oh, kind of place mm-hmm, all the time. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. That's a real danger. I think that's a big benefit of, you know, Buddhist practice, because in Buddhism, there are a lot of checks and balances, so that you can really, you know, write mindfulness, write, write, um, you know, discipline of the mind is very important. It's not about ignoring, you know, the mind. It's about using the mind to be able to be clear as to what it is that you're letting in and what it is that you're following. Um, but I, there is, you know, when we cultivate that inner knowing, that inner sense, then we're able to sit with those thoughts, allow them to come through, and then allow them to go. We're, a lot, we're allowing emotions to rise up to really feel them. You know, it's not about not feeling what we're feeling, not experiencing life. It's about experiencing life fully. Mm-hmm. But when we allow from that place, when we allow these things to move through, we feel them fully and don't attach to them, then they go. And mm-hmm. um, I think that's different than bypassing, than pushing it over there. And, you know, that's not what I'm going to look at. Right. right, right. Well, and bypassing, compartmentalizing, that is a very different thing. It, again, it's sort of the idea of living from, you know, when we, in some ways, the bypassing and the compartmentalizing feels to me like it is still giving way too much magnitude or or gravity to one limb, to one piece. Mm. And that, you know, it's like if we are avoiding our feelings and avoiding our thoughts, in a lot of ways, there's an incredible amount of energy that goes into that avoidance. Whereas when we are in the center and we have all of our, all parts of ourselves, because I sort of think an element, you know, in terms of the elements of like, there's the, there's the mental component of air, there's the sort of behavioral component of an action of fire, there's the emotional component of water, and then there's the physiological, physical component of earth. And then there's the, and then there's the spirit. There's, you know, that divine spiritual connection that comes with spirit, uh, that all of them have a place. And yet our culture tends to be so out of balance that we're either denying one of those pieces or we are giving way too much precedent to one of those pieces. Like I grew up in a family where emotion thoughts and feelings like air and water were like dominant like they just took up all the oxygen all the space in the room and so it's like if if somebody was having a hard emotion it just overrode everything there wasn't just like oh okay we're having a hard time now let's just extend an incredible amount of loving kindness and compassion to ourselves it was just kind of like, stop the, you know, stop the world. I'm having a feeling like, you know, like mm. I need, like it mm-hmm. just, and so I'm just really, again, hearing in everything you're speaking about is really just how living from the center where all of the parts are in right relation versus mm-hmm. overemphasizing one of the parts or compartmentalizing one of the parts or bypassing any of these pieces is just so important. So, Clem, I cannot believe how fast this conversation has gone by. I told you we would like hit this point where I would be like, Clem, guess what? We're here. And you had mentioned that you had a passage to read from the book. And I really Ooh. would love for the audience to get a chance to hear you read. So, okay. Yeah, yeah. great. Um, yeah, I was thinking about what one of the most empathic um, things that I could read were. And this is one of the pieces. All great music halls in San Francisco have ghosts. 
as anyone who works there will tell you. It makes sense, seeing as they've been theaters for close to 100 years in a city rife with spookiness. All the bodies who have worked there on stage and off, all the audiences packed in over the years, it adds up to quite a bit of plasma and energy you can feel when you walk in. I like to think of music as a conduit connecting worlds, melodies conjuring spirits from other decades, and sound waves offering them a pathway to ride in on. I have, inv I have been inviting spirits into my body to play with me for years. It must have started when my father died. I could feel the longing for him so often that I may have extended an invitation inviting his energy into the physicality of the playing. This was not a conscious decision. I must have been doing this for years before I recognized it. When I play a show and fall into that center beyond time and space, there seems to be a natural opening to invitation. Then, of course, I am playing someone else's parts on stage getting inside of someone else's movements and body. Drumming is so much about the physical form, and in that space of no thought, the body is a tool used by the song. Time moves in a circle, opening portals. As I play, an invitation broadcasts that others may have some use of this tool and the glory of movement that is drumming. When I began to study shamanic techniques later in my life, I realized that this opening is probably not the wisest thing. Probably not wise to open my energy system to invitation in a theater of drunken souls. With help, I have spent some time finding and releasing energies that are not mine to hold any longer. I get lighter and lighter over time. This is all very esoteric, and I hesitate to mention it, but no matter our own mythical cosmology, it can be of use to consider letting go of energies we have opted to carry throughout our life, with which no longer serve us. They don't have to be spirits. The benefit of finding our own internal symbolism to understand ourselves is transformative. I say I'm carrying spirits or energy. Someone else may say they have a persistent memory or dream that they cannot relive, relieve or understand. Maybe there's a feeling of something missing or something blocked. Metaphor guides us through the work of discovering our individual internal language and knowing. I will not stop the invitation as I play. I'm comfortable being a conduit now. However, I will continue to work to make sure that when the show is over, everything is in its proper place, and I walk in energetic integrity as I make my way home, ears vibrating, heart lifted in song. Oh, Clem, that was so beautiful. Oh, thank you. Oh, oh, thank you for letting me read it. Thank you, you took so much. Oh, you are so welcome. You took me back to I am um, for years. I had a tattoo studio that was in an old Oddfellows Hall building, and we had taken over a nightclub that had been like the, the you know, sort of like the one of the more popular places in Portland, um, Maine for many years. And it was also a very haunted place. And so I was just thinking, you know, and and the building itself is a, is a theater. Um, was we were renting from the Portland Stage Company, and so as you were speaking about it, I'm like, yep, <laughs> there it there's something yeah. <laughs> very, very special about theaters and the ghosts that in that inhabit them. Oh, that was just so beautiful. So you guys, that was a piece from Clem's book, from Bonham to Buddha and back the slow enlightenment of the hard rock drummer and there will be a link for it in the show notes so you can come over there or you can just go search for it on Amazon and buy a copy so Clem before I let you go I've got a sort of like three more questions and the first one is 
Is there anything that you would just kick yourself if you did not say it on this interview? Is there like something that really matters that you're like, I definitely want to be sure I've said this before I go? Well, I I think because you're, you know, your podcast is for empaths and highly sensitive people. And, you know, I've worked with many, I don't consider myself a highly sensitive person, but I have many in my sphere, Mm -hmm. um, many musicians and many friends. And, um, you know, there really is a way to move through the world without anxiety. I mean, there really is a, uh, a place that we can get to. Um, where we really do continue to to deepen our own internal power. And there are um, great tools for doing so. And I, I encourage anybody who suffers and feels that they can't live life to the fullest because, because they feel a little too porous or, or too buffeted by other energy. There, there are ways to, to guard yourself. For that by by finding this center in yourself so i guess that's that's what i would most want to say so i before i actually go to the next question what would be a very first basic basic step you would suggest for somebody in terms yeah, of that I, transitioning from anxiety to that center yeah well first i would find a way to connect with the part of yourself that has your best interest at heart the part of yourself that has that is connected to unconditional love for yourself because that's where your power is and you know when i first uh i i I remember doing a, a tibetan um meditation once where I would um, I was guided to meet with a guide underneath a tree I saw the Buddha right and Mm. I was supposed to give him love and I could give him all this love and then I was supposed to feel all of this love unconditional love coming back to me and I completely blacked out Mm. I woke up and like the the meditation was over and I was like, well, that was strange. I better do that again. And I did the meditation again. Same thing. As soon as I was to feel unconditional love, my mind just went elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking, oh my gosh, am I not able to feel unconditional love? And I thought of my mother who's very loving. And I know that she would say that she loves me unconditionally. And I saw that I felt that I had to be a certain way for her to love me. Mm-hmm. And I realized I cannot, I don't feel worthy of unconditional love. And once I, and then I started doing a lot of practices and a lot of meditations and really examined all the ways that I felt unworthy and shameful and not good enough and all of those things. And once I started to open up to feeling that I was worthy of de- divine love right i mean it's that that kind of love where you are perfect the way that you are nothing needs to change once i could connect with that energy even a little bit i felt like i was able to love more deeply at, like externally once i could love myself in that way i felt what i had been calling unconditional love that i thought i was feeling had a little piece of person who was able to feel unconditional love attached to it so once I was able to really feel that actually I am worthy of being here I am worthy of being loved that was after a lifetime of telling myself the most negative thought patterns Mm -hmm. about myself once I once I was able to find that it was like this great power that I have you know that it's like nothing can then if you don't love me, then okay, but I'm able to be loved, right? I mean, that's ultimately the basis of of a lot of our anxiety. We feel, you know, I was examining shame for a long time. I had all this shame, and I couldn't figure out where, like, every time I would go deep in meditation, there was this layer of it, and I asked a psychiatrist friend of mine, what is that about? And she said, well, I mean, shame is a an emotion that was created so that you don't get thrown out in the forest away from the tribe, you know? 
And once I kind of put that together, like, oh, I'm afraid of not being loved, right? I'm afraid of not being worthy of love. So once I found that, then, and did that work, um, that really was profound for me. So I think when you're talking about, you know, what is it that people can do? It's finding that thing. And I'm not, you know, I love Buddhist practice, meditation practice, but if that's not your thing, then find the thing that is the thing that really makes you sit with the uncomfortable feeling that you might feel that you are not worthy of being loved or not good enough. And really let those things be understood by yourself and keep coming back to that idea that there is a part of you that is completely worthy and is working for you to understand how loved you are and can be. I think that Mm. would be the the first thing I would say to people. Mm. Mm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And you read my mind or you got my psychic, my telepathic psychic facts because when you first talked about access the part of you that can access the unconditional love, I'm like, well, what about the people who can't access that? And you spoke directly to that about looking at what are the things that stop us from that? What are the things that block us? So Clem, the second question I have for you that I always like, and anybody who's been listening to this show for a while knows exactly what's coming next, which is I like to think of these podcasts as existing outside of time. And that, you know, this conversation is like a ribbon on the, you know, on the timeline where we can fold the time on top of itself. And so we have the ability to take a message that it's going to go because this mess, this podcast is going to go into the future, but I also believe it can go into the past. And so I always love to think about that early child or that young woman or that part that was the the part that was struggling or just didn't have all the answers yet. And I love to go back to her and give her a message. So if you could go back to a point in the past where younger Clementine really needed a message, what would you tell her? Well, I'm taken back to being 16 years old and deeply unhappy going for a drive in my Pinto car and um, and listening to music on the radio and just in so much suffering feeling that uh, that life wasn't really worth continuing on for I think mm-hmm. I would have let her know that she was going to be a drummer in a Led Zeppelin band and I think that would have made her really happy <laughs> And that uh, all of her dreams would come true. And, Mm. uh, you know, I think that that's the case. I wanted to be happy and fulfilled and live a creative life. And and I've gotten to do that. And it didn't look anything like what she would have imagined. Imagined, yeah. So that's that's kind of fun. Yeah, Yeah, it's very fun. Yeah, so I'm really hearing the message to her is hang in there. I know it's really hard right now, but your wildest dreams are going to be realized. Dreams that you didn't even know you had are going to be realized. Keep going. And uh, by the way, go pick up a drum. (laughs) Learn how to drum. It's (laughs) change your life. Go play drums. (laughs) Go play drums. It will change your life. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my life is certainly, I don't often talk about this, but my life is absolutely drums have had a significant through line in my life. And I don't think I'd be living the life I am living today if it were not for drums. I mean, even one of the things that connected me and David in the very first place was that we were both into drums. So something drums are drums are magical so final question and this is the simplest one how do people get in touch with you Hmm. Uh, let's see my website is clemthegreat.com and that has links to the other websites for you know my healing practice and for the book and for the bands so um yeah it's all there clemthegreat.com awesome 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 so you guys clemthegreat.com will lead you to everything. And if you feel like coming over to the show notes at empathicmasteryshow.com, you will be able to find the link to Clem the Great. You'll be able to find links to Clem's book as well 
is I'm even going to include a link if it's possible to get a copy of From Here to Here. I'll include a link for that. Um, but just pretty much anything that we've been talking about, you can find the links over at the show notes. Clementine, it has been so rich, so satisfying, so good to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I, I just, I'm just thrilled and I feel buzzy from our conversation. So thank you so much. Oh, you, you are so welcome. <laughs> Yay. Okay, guys, go check out the show notes and buy Clem's book. As we come to the end of this episode, I'd love to hear what you're taking from this show. Please jump over to empathicmasteryshow.com to leave your comments. In the show notes, you'll find a link to grab your copy of My Empathic Safety Guide, Three Basics for Finding Calm in the Eye of the Storm. And while you're there, please subscribe and follow this show. And thank you for your help sharing this show with the people who need it. Please help me to spread the word and send this podcast to friends or family members who need support living as highly sensitive empathic people. Then join me again when the next Empathic Mastery Show airs. Okay, one last time, hop over to EmpathicMasteryShow.com for your empathic safety guide. And until next show, shine on. We need you and your gifts here on this planet. So please don't judge your empathic rainbow by colorblind standards.